Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Every Christmas, one of my uh, favorite gifts, one that I look forward to, is a calendar, which usually arrives in time from uh, the... Bible College in a refugee camp on the Burmese border, the Karen uh, Baptist Bible College. And God willing, I hope to be going out again uh, for the 12th time uh, to do some teaching there in February. And usually the, the calendar is full of uh, pages of the, the ranks of students looking very, very smart in the different colors of uniform for each year. There's about 400 of them there now. This year, the front page was quite poignant. Uh, there's a picture of a large banner proclaiming peace on the earth. And it's poignant because the banner is arrayed against a background of a new build rising against the charred remains of the former Bible college, which... Uh, as you might remember, I said, was burnt down earlier in the year. There had been a kitchen fire, and the fire spread and gutted the whole college. But not only is there that background of this real tragedy, this natural tragedy, but there is the, the continuing background of uncertainty in Burma, continued violence, continued burning of villages, relocation of ethnic tribes' people. And so, at one level, peace on earth, Seems like a forlorn hope. And yet for the majority, maybe for coming on half of the 45,000 refugees in Mila refugee camp, people who've lost homes, uh, who have seen loved ones gunned down before their very eyes, who've lost all their possessions, peace is a deep reality, is a present reality in their lives. Peace on earth, goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. This verse is so often used, isn't it, as a stick by the world with which to beat the church. The world loves to look at this verse and say, peace on earth. What do you mean peace on earth? Get real. Look at what's happening on the earth. More wars than there were before the coming of Christ. What about the grieving parents in Newtown, Connecticut? What about the people who are living so close to the place where the message was first announced? What about the people in uh, the West Bank or in Gaza or the Israelis? Uh, who are mourning over loved ones who have been killed by mortar attack. Now war and suffering is a great concern to Christians when we speak of peace and goodwill. We can't make these words mean any less than peace and goodwill shown between human beings. But the problem is that the cynic sees no more than the human side. But on that starry night Outside Bethlehem, the angels were singing uh, of a glory in the highest and a peace that had come from heaven to men. 
And so to understand the, the depth of the song, we have to think of it and have to think it through from heaven's side. And so as we seek to do that, we're going to be thinking of the, the song the angels sang for the Savior through three words. We're going to be thinking of the word peace, of the, sorry, of the word, first of all, glory, then of peace, and then favor. Glory, peace, favor. Glory to God in the highest. The glory of God, literally, is the, the weightiness of God. Unbelieving people have got a very light view of God. They'll use his name uh, without thinking. They'll speak of things that relate to God in a very lightsome way. But the reality of God is that he is weighty. He is awesome. There is an awesomeness about God which means that a proper reaction to drawing near to his presence is one of fear. Fear in the presence of God. When we come into the presence of God, we know with Moses that it's time to take off the shoes from our feet because the very ground at which we're standing is holy ground. The glory of God means that he's to be worshipped with, with intensity and reality and with passion and not in any lackluster or formal way because he's the glorious God. And the Bible sometimes speaks of, of the glory of God being a seen glory as in a, a physical shining forth of all of the perfections of God that make him awesome, that make him weighty. The well-known phrase that we have here, the, the, the glory of the Lord shone around them, means that on that night, that momentous night, when angels appeared, there was a, a shining forth from heaven itself of the light of God. A brightness indicating that something of the invisible character of God was being made manifest on the earth. Demonstrated. Something of the gloriousness of God that is witnessed in heaven was being displayed on earth. What was it of the glory of God that made the angels sing? What was being displayed of God's inner invisible being well first of all it was his goodness that night his goodness was being shown God's goodness is uh, the the love that God has to show kindness to other people to bring joy to do good to them and that day God was showing his goodness because he was providing a saviour for them. Today a saviour has been born to you. A saviour. Someone who will save people. Men, women, boys and girls. Who will deliver them from that which will destroy their lives. Who will deliver them from the misery of sin. A saviour is born. And this is good news of great joy. God has done something which will generate joy in the hearts of people. He is good. And he is showing his goodness 
on this day. And the angels are singing about it. People are going to know the joy of having their sins forgiven. Of being brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. They're going to know something that the very angels who are singing have never experienced. They have been accustomed to praising God with a praise that is pure and passionate. But they've never sung as redeemed beings. These angels have never been forgiven of their sins. They've never had someone to take their place to be a substitute. But because the Savior has come, people will sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Songs the angels have never sung will be sung by sinful men and women saved by the one who's been born. God's showing his goodness in providing this Savior, he is going to generate joy in the hearts of men. But also the glory of God is shown, not just by the showing of his goodness, but by the showing, the display of his wisdom. The one who is to be born is Christ the Lord. He is the Lord. And there will come the time when the, the confession Caesar is Lord will be replaced by the confession in the church of Jesus is Lord. Caesar's desire was to be acclaimed as Lord. But as Christians we acclaim Jesus as Lord. He's the king over all the universe. And he's come into our lives or we have been placed into him rather. And he is now Lord of our lives. Jesus is Lord. And yet... Think of it, this one who is Lord of all, Lord of lords and King of kings, will be born in a stable. Will be born of a peasant woman. Will be born without a ripple amongst all the, the high folk of the land. There will be no announcement in the international press will be this group of poor shepherds who will be the first to hear the news. Later on, uh, there will be this group of astrologers who will come with their, their precious gifts for the baby. But there will be no uh, festivities in the royal households of the Middle East. Paul uh, will later quote Isaiah 29, 14. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Now, in Jesus' life, this, this overturning of the values of the world will be shown in the cross, most of all. That will be the, the real apex of God's wisdom uh, showing up. The wisdom of the world as being folly. But right at the incarnation, God is displaying his wisdom. Uh, instead of sending his son uh, into a prestigious hospital to be born. Instead of having it heralded so that the mighty will hear first. Uh, God sends his son to be born in a stable uh, of Mary, the poor, obscure uh, woman from that town in Nazareth. And it will be shepherds who will be the first well-wishers. The wisdom of God overturns the wisdom of the philosophers. The world in which we live 
uh, tells us that uh, to get ahead you need to be self-assertive, uh, you need to be eloquent, uh, you need to dress well, you need to look well, you need to have style and so forth. You need to achieve lots of degrees, uh, you need to have lots of money. And God overturns the, the wisdom of the world and he begins by sending his son through whom and for whom the worlds were made to be born in the weakness of Bethlehem. God shows his goodness and his wisdom. He shows, thirdly, his faithfulness because the angels pointedly tell the shepherds that the place where this Savior who will bring great joy to them is born is David's town. He's been born in Bethlehem. Now it's doubly significant because Micah, the prophet, had promised that uh, Bethlehem would be the town marked out. God is keeping his promise to the detail of the birthplace. But there's a promise as well that it would be of David's line. David would have this, this kingdom that would endure forever. And now it's in David's town and it's of a woman of David's lineage that Jesus will be born. The saviour of the world will be born. And to appreciate that, we need to see that for centuries it looked as though that that was a very unlikely prospect. There had been no king sitting on a throne. And Satan himself had thrashed around like some great uh, fearsome dragon seeking to, to extinguish, to, to cut off the human line through which the promise was to be uh, relayed. But shielded by God, that human connection was kept intact so that when the time had fully come, the Son of God could be inserted into the line of David in order to demonstrate that God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. And that's true from the great promise of a saviour and the manner of his birth to the promise that he gives to you and I the promises to keep us when we commit our lives to him to save us from our sins and to shield us by his power until we are safely home in heaven God is faithful part of his glory is his faithfulness and that was being displayed and that was being sung of by the angels Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, peace to men in whom his favour rests. The appearance of peace on earth is heralded by a heavenly host. It's quite interesting because a heavenly host is heavenly army. Here is an army sent to intimate peace. Isn't that kind of ironic? And it's a peace of an altogether different order. It's peace between God and man. And the angels are heralding something which underlines the fact that there has been war before. We have been at enmity with God. Now, this is something that, and, until we're Christians, we find it hard to get. Most people today, most people who are, who are not believers in Copebridge, uh, won't think of themselves in the main as being enemies of God. Uh, they'll think that they're indifferent, they simply don't care, can't be bothered and so on. But in reality, 
They are at enmity with God and they are part of a spiritual conflict between two kingdoms. And our enmity is shown by our rebellion against God, by our refusal to come under the the rule of God, by the fact that we don't like to be in the presence of God and those who serve God. But we shy away from that. And in a host of different ways, we prove ourselves to be opposed to God. And God is opposed to us. Again, that's a truth that people find unpalatable. And yet it's true. Because God in his very nature, being holy, is opposed to sin. And we are bound up with our sin. As sinners, we we do things which cause uh, God's wrath to be kindled. We come under the, the proper wrath and condemnation of a holy God. And the great achievement of the Lord Jesus will, to be, will be to bring about an armistice with this holy God. There can't be any downplaying of the wrath of God. But Jesus dealt with that wrath when he bore it in his own body on the tree. And this deep peace is so different from the sentimentalized peace that people speak and sing about. So easy to talk about world peace and peace to all men. But really, the real war is between man and God. And all other conflicts flow from that. Uh, Most of us will have heard about the the story of how uh, momentary peace broke out in the First World War. uh, When in the trenches... Uh, there was heard on the German side the, the singing of Stille Nacht and the, the uh, British and the Allied troops responded with, the, with their singing of Silent Night. And then there were the, uh, the, the, the football match between the trenches and the exchange of, of gifts and goodwill. And for a time, there was no war. But then, of course, they went back to killing one another it was short-lived. lasted only for a while. But real peace is peace which is made with a holy God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to have real peace is to place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who brings who makes us right with God. When anyone believes in Christ, they believe that on the cross, the wrath of God against them was fully absorbed by Jesus, who in love took our place. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Jesus is our peace child. Now again, some of you may know the, the, the story that, that exemplifies so, so beautifully this whole idea of Jesus being our peace child. It's a, a story from the mission field and it's recounted in Don Richardson's book, Peace Child. And Don Richardson and his wife Carol were, <coughs> were working with the Sawai people of New Guinea and they had to work hard to try and learn the language and the culture, but they needed a key to open the understanding of the people to the Christian message. 
And they were frustrated that they couldn't get them to understand that Jesus had come to die for their sins. The tribe, they actually loved the story of the crucifixion. And they would listen to Don Richardson telling it because they they loved to hear the part when Judas got paid uh, the money for betraying Jesus and giving uh, Jesus the kiss of betrayal because treachery was actually something which was uh, valued uh, amongst the tribe. And so you can imagine how frustrating this was to the missionaries that the, the very things that they were trying to get across were being misunderstood and misinterpreted. And then one day they had an opportunity to to get across the message and it came in a way that they didn't expect. There had been a couple of tribes which were always at at loggerheads and the Richardsons decided that uh, they were getting nowhere, that if the fighting didn't stop, they were simply moving on. And when the tribes people heard this, they weren't happy because they, there was a certain prestige to having the, the, the white people with them. Uh, Don Richardson had some uh, steel tools they found useful and so on. And they begged them not to go. The chief of one of the tribes realized that there was a price that had to be paid for peace. So one day... Uh, Don Richardson watched the, the, the warriors of both tribes forming a line opposite each other. And the chief of the one tribe took his newborn son from the arms of his wife. And she sank down to the ground, overwhelmed by grief. And this chief then walked down the line of his own warriors. And each of them put his hand on the little child's head. And with determination and resolve, he then walked across the open space between the two tribes, stood face to face with the enemy chief, and placed his son in the enemy chief's hands. With the baby in his hands, this man then walked down the line of his own warriors, and in full view of the father and the father's tribe, each enemy warrior placed his hands on the baby boy. And next, the warriors disappeared into the bush with the infant. The baby was gone, never to be returned again to the grieving parents. The missionaries wondered what this ceremony meant. And one day the chief said to them, I offered my son as a peace child for our tribes. As long as my son lives, there will be peace between our tribes. If he dies, war will resume. Anyone who kills a peace child will himself be killed. And Don Richardson pondered over the significance of this ceremony and realized that at last he had a key to open to this Stone Age people the truth about Jesus Christ. He gathered the the heads of the tribes together and told them the story of God's peace child. He spoke about the war that rages between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. He showed how uh, the Lord God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as his peace child to make peace between God and man. He quoted Isaiah 9.6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. 
And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God has given his peace child, peace to men. Glory, peace, and then finally, favor. Peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. Literally, this is peace among men of his good pleasure. Actually, the, the NIV from which we're reading captures the, the sense better than the AV here. Uh, <coughs> the AV is peace, goodwill toward men, which chimes in with the, the, the feel good uh, time of year when we're thinking of showing goodwill to all people. But actually, what uh, the angels were singing about. Uh, was not general goodwill, but they're singing about election. They're singing about free grace. There's an emphasis on God and his freedom here. It is those that God chooses rather than those who choose God for whom the angels are singing. And that, of course, is another aspect of God's glory. It is of his glory that, that uh, he is free, that he is sovereign. He's coming to Jesus. Now we're going to sing in closing, Child in the Manger, Infant of Mary. Outcast and stranger, Lord of all, child who inherits all our transgressions, all our demerits, and him fall. Stand as we sing. <coughs> Thank you.